Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner, Matt Story, and it is February 9th, which means it's time for us to talk about the XFL. Just kidding. That's right. Well, yeah, I know. It kicked off yesterday, and everybody's excited. And let's check with them again in about five weeks, and let's see if they're still excited. If they are, great, but I'll believe it when I see it then. I had uh, I had it on for about two minutes I heard Steve Levy report that uh, they were down to just single walk-up tickets available at kickoff. So for okay. a 17,000-person stadium, it was not a complete sellout. Now It was not. It was not. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to uh, well, cut I was gonna you off. Well, I say, he pitched it as that's a positive. We had, yeah. you, know, over, you know, over 90% capacity, and that's – Great. I, I think that there are two ways to look at it. I, I think the the best thing I can say about this iteration of the XFL is it appears to be wanting to stay in its lane. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. It's it's not two thousand or what was it two thousand one? Whenever they did that before, and, and it um, you know now I will say I found it interesting, maybe coincidental, maybe not that the two kickoff games yesterday, when the most eyeballs would probably be on it because it's the very beginning were played in two of the smaller stadiums that they have. Um, because, you know, New York is playing at MetLife Stadium, mm-hmm. and Seattle is playing at CenturyLink Field. And, and you know, so you've got stadiums that have capacities of, you know, 60,000. MetLife, I think, is 80,000. Um, and those will not be anywhere close to full. And so it, you know, certainly was a better, better optics, as they say now in today's world, to put on, you know, Audi Field and whatever the place in Houston is called. I don't know what it's called. Um, and, and have it look, you know, pretty full. Now, the place in Houston, the upper deck was obviously closed off. Uh, they don't have a huge upper deck, but there was no one there. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me, and I don't know if on purpose that they put those games there because you think, well, okay, you know, we get 15,000 people to show up for game one, and it'll look like, well, pretty packed house. Whereas if you put 15,000 people at MetLife Stadium, it's going to look like, wow, there are a lot of empty seats there. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, is an unfair comparison, but the Super Bowl was a sellout. and uh... <laughs> Yes, it was. has been for a while now. Not the first one, or the mm-hmm. second or third, I think, but it's, uh, I think it's got a pretty good streak going since then. Yeah. And um, a, a very exciting game. You know, similar was, to ASU basketball last night, it, it was a, a number of different games all played in the same time limit. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, um, you know, the first half, I texted you at halftime and, and said, you know, it just it felt like a game that hadn't gotten started yet. Um, it didn't feel like either team was playing great. didn't feel like either team was playing poorly. Uh, you know, there was some good defense, but not dominant defense. There were some good offense, but not, you know, controlling the pace. And then the third quarter and first half of the fourth quarter, you know, it, it felt like it was San Francisco's game. I mean, when they picked off Mahomes there when they were up by 10 and the, and the Chiefs were driving in field goal range already and they got that pick, I thought, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here on my couch and I'm like, well, I think San Francisco is your Super Bowl champion. And and then it just, you know, in the blink of an eye, a few plays, uh, you know, the third down play where they missed the offside on Kansas City. Now, it still would have been third down again, but they did miss the offside. They punt, you know, Kansas City gets their third and 15 when the hill comes wide open. Um, and, and then the pass interference that gets them down to the goal line. And then, you know, to me, and I don't know what you thought, the key sequence of the game was after Kansas City scored to go up or go down by three. 
and Niners get the ball first down, they run for five. So second and five, and they throw two incompletions after that. And not running on second and five when you had just run for five yards was was the swing of the game. You throw an incompletion, which means you have to throw again, another incompletion, and within, you know, almost a, a few minutes, you're down in that game. Yeah, it's uh, it was surprising because of really the whole season and postseason for the Niners built around the running game except for the two primary games. And the big bugaboo for the Chiefs defensively was an inability to stop the run. Right, right, yeah. And the decision there to, you know, in a critical moment, abandon your strength. And look, I'm not not going to say, you know, like I saw the punditry. Yeah. uh, Kyle Shanahan doesn't know how to coach in a big game. Come on. He got them there. He He got them there, yes. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, yes, the numbers are stark. Oh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons when they got outscored, you know, 25 nothing in the fourth quarter in OT. And then this one was 21 nothing. <sighs> okay, that's true. And, you know, yeah, but, but there's, there's a lot more the, than Kyle Shanahan that had to do with the Falcons' collapse, first well, off. He uh, also you know. had the, the teams up in the first three games. He did, yes, know? yes. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's unfortunate for him because that is now the perception that's out there. And unless he gets back to a Super Bowl and wins a Super Bowl, and all he has to do is look across the sideline to see it, that perception is going to follow him. Because, you know, Andy Reid was known as he can't coach a big game. And in large part, that was because of the Super Bowl in 2005 when, you know, and it was interesting, similar scenario, down by 10, fourth quarter, and and they didn't really go to a hurry up. They kept huddling. They kept kind of methodically moving. They scored, but it left them with so little time coming back that when they got the ball back, it was, you know, desperation time and, and McNabb gets picked off and it, and that was the hallmark of that game and it followed him for 15 years that you know well you can't trust Andy Reid in the biggest moments uh, really unfairly because I mean he won a lot of big games he got to a lot of big playoff games and uh, you know but that's perception gets formed and that's the perception now around Kyle Shanahan is uh, you can't trust him with the fourth in the fourth quarter with a lead uh, even though you know as you said he won the game to get them there. He won the game before that to get them to, to, to the championship game. Um, he built the uh, lead know. in the first three quarters. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and oh, by and, the way, you know, he's not the defensive guy. He's not. He's <laughs> not. I mean, the defense didn't perform when they needed to. It, it. You know. I mean, and I'm not just saying it because of Richard Sherman, but it was similar to what happened in in what was it five years ago when the Patriots and Seahawks played ten point lead going to the fourth. And they let the Patriots march down back-to-back drives and score touchdowns. And we look back at that game, and it's, oh, how do you throw down in the end zone and terrible decision, and, and the defense is so infuriated with Pete Carroll and Daryl Bevel for throw. Get a stop. You're, you know, you call yourself one of the best defenses ever, and you gave up two long touchdown drives in a row to fall behind in that game. Now, yeah, the interception is the play everybody remembers, but like, get a stop. Uh, and they didn't do that. And so, you know, it's, it's just, it's always interesting how perception gets formed. And yeah, it's Kyle Shanahan's fault that they lost this game. The defense gave up three straight touchdown drives, gave up a third and 15 when they could, when up by 10, you get that stop, they're punting and you probably win that game. You know, I mean, you, you know, probably over at that point. Um, you know, so yeah, the, the blame goes around and you know what? The chiefs also played well in the end. They didn't play well for three quarters, but 
they made big plays. I mean, the, the throw to the throw to Hill was a great play, but the throw to Watkins on the go ahead touchdown drive was was a great throw and great catch and great route. I mean, like you know, the the other team tries hard too, and they outplayed him in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So it was a fun season. I mean, I you know, I don't know. Looking looking back at the 2019 season, I enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed not having the Patriots in the fold. Um, you know, in the championship round and Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, now we close the book on it. Good for Andy Reid. I think both of us were on the same page with that, that, you know, uh, it was it was uh, nice to see him finally get that big win and get that label taken away of, yeah, but uh, there's no more yeah, but with him. You know, mm-hmm. he's a great coach who's now got the Super Bowl to validate it, and that's that. Indeed. Uh from one game with a crazy comeback and odd scenarios to another, ASU basketball comes back to beat USC 66-64 in a weird, topsy-turvy, you know, we were down yeah. double digits in the first half. It was eight yeah. at halftime. And then we come out, full court press. USC doesn't know what to do. They're turning the ball over, falling all over themselves. Right. Right. And we claw back in. And then with, I think, seven minutes to go, we've got the lead. And yeah. Hurley pulls Martin and Edwards. And all of a sudden, the press is – and White. And the press isn't working. And we're rushing shots behind Verge leading yeah. the offense. And we cough up the lead again, but it's a back-and-forth game. And all of a sudden, we're not scoring at all. We, we, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're at the line. The, yeah. the free throw game kept us in it, and we weren't really great at the line. Uh, I mean, we, you know, in that stretch, and it was more than 11 minutes that we went without a made basket, uh, which is startling to think you won a game where you go 11 minutes in the second half without a made basket. Um, you know, we, we missed, Cherry missed one of two, mm-hmm. Edwards missed one of two, and, and I think White missed one of two. Uh, and, you know, and so we, we, we gave away some points when we weren't able to put the ball in the basket anyway, but then... Boy, the big sequence was, was you know, we were down five, I think 64-59. And I can't remember who it was that got fouled and made two. And then we steal the inbounds, and, and Martin sure throws up a three and he gets fouled. He misses the shot, but he makes all three free throws. And like that, we go from down five to tied in spite of, again, not making a bucket, you know, for, for the entire latter half of the second half. And it, and it just, you know, and then it was just like back and forth. I mean, we got a couple stops. They got a couple stops. And then it was Remy Martin's, you know, all around, you know, spin out, spin in shot that, that proved to be the winner. Um, there's a lot of guys to talk about with this. And we can start with Martin. 22 points. Yeah. He, he's obviously the straw that stirs the drink for the team offensively and he defensively. He is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You notice – you mentioned taking him out, and I noticed it in the first half, too. Hurley tries to get him out, and it's smart. He tries to get him out around the midpoint of each half, close to a TV timeout, so that he can buy, you know, so that he's not off the court for really a lot of game time, but he can buy him those extra couple minutes to, you know, lead, you know back it up to a TV timeout and then get him back in. And I saw it. He did it both halves. He did it against Arizona, too, in that game. Yeah. Martin wound up playing 32 minutes, uh, tied for the team lead with Verge. Um, there's one guy who we have potentially, I think, diverging views on based on a text last night exchange we had about Tayshawn Cherry. It was a little emotional in the first half, to be fair. Tayshawn Cherry ended up with one point, 
over five from the field, one of two yeah. from the line. Um, he is not shooting well this year, and I think we can all He's agree not. that whatever befell Rob Edwards has also happened to Terry, and he hasn't been able to cure it. Yeah, yeah. Now, that said, he plays with an intensity on defense that I think is contagious. He does. You know, he does. He's I, I, critical I that. to that yeah. trapping full-court press, too. Yes, yes. You know? I mean, he had some nice plays. He drew that offensive foul. Mm-hmm. Now, his emotion sometimes gets the better of him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he uh, picked know, up three fouls in 15 minutes, almost picked yes. up a fourth uh, and a tech. Um, yes, when he went over to the ref there. Yeah, uh, yeah like, you, you got to, you know. Um, you know, so he, he's he's like, a, you know, you're dancing on the fall line with him every time, it seems like. But but you're right. He did have some some big moments. He had a big steal late in the game on, a, on an entry pass where they had, they had, you know, we had not rotated well, and he was the one who came up and, you know, almost like a defensive back, you know, worked worked his way over and stole that pass. Um, you know, he, he, you're right. I mean, to be fair to him, for a guy who came in very highly touted, and, you know, obviously when you're highly touted in basketball, that means you can score. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like football. Uh, you know, that means you can put the ball in the basket, and he has not done that very well in his two years here, and certainly this year, not great. Um, but he hasn't totally lost focus, which would have been easy to do. been easy to go in the tank and, and you know, be a negative and be riding the pine or transfer out already, and he hasn't done that. So I'll, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. To me, the, mo- the most telling stat line of the night is in a combined 51 minutes between Lawrence, Cherry, and House – they had precisely one point, three turnovers, yeah. and still I think were net positive impact on the game. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. They had four, combined, because they basically played one guy, one and a half guys worth of time. They, com- yeah. you know, they combined for 14 rebounds, three steals, a block. They only turned the ball over three times. Yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, they, you know, and, and you notice House was on the court for that last possession mm-hmm. to play defense. I mean, you can tell the trust in him on the defensive end, at least. Got a ways to go on the offensive end. But, um, you know, you can definitely see they, they believe in him, and he, he applied good pressure coming up the court. The defense on that last possession was really good, really good. And, and it was really good throughout several possessions late when we, when, you know, again, when the lid was on the basket. And the game could have gotten away from us with a couple made buckets by them, and all of a sudden we're down, you know, eight or ten, and that's it. Um, and, you know, we did play good defense, rotated well, helped well, um, rebounded fairly well late. Not for much of the game, we gave up a lot of offensive boards, but late was was better. Um, so yeah, you know, you got to do the little things, and especially when you're having trouble scoring, and we were. And 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 you're exactly right in the way you described that game because the the first you know eight minutes of the second half. We were electric offensively. We were getting the turnovers. We were, you know, we were making threes. We, and and then it just like, boy, the, the light switch got turned off, and we couldn't get it back on. Yeah, the I think the encapsulation of that was, you know, Rob Edwards made that steal. We'd been oh. pressing, and he made that steal when uh, I can't remember who the guard was who who was yeah. just trying to turn back to the middle of the court. Yes, but was lazy with the ball. And Edwards came around and picked his pocket and then drilled the three. The, the pull-up three? Yes, yeah. yes. That Edwards, was, that, Edwards I mean, that gave us our first lead. 10 from three. 
Yes, yes. Uh, That was a huge one. It was. It was definitely huge. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we we worked our way back in it, and and then we just found a way to, you know, hang in there, and and they helped us out. No no mistake. I mean, they had some some dumb turnovers. Um, We we forced 24 turnovers. Yeah, and I want to say probably 15 or 16 of those in the second half. Yeah. I know it was it was up to thirteen, and I'm pretty sure they had one or two more after that. So, yeah, I mean it, it was it was good defense. The, the pressure and they and they showed some of it in the first half too. Uh, was an interesting look because it's not something that we've done a lot this year, and and it almost feels like that was a you know hey we've we've got a you know we were outsized by them. They had better bigs than us. You could see it early in the game that they could get the ball inside, they could rebound it, um, and they were taking advantage of it. And, and it was almost uh, it was a good adjustment, uh, pregame adjustment, I assume, because it, we started it early to, you know, well, let's try to let's try to muck it up for them. Let's not let them get into their offense and take advantage of their size. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're collapsing on them and they're shooting threes. Um, it didn't work great every time. It's never going to, you know, I mean, like, there's times you press and you're going to give up an easy bucket on the other end. But it, 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 you know, it kept us in the game and certainly got us back in the game early in the second half yeah well in the first half and really all game Matthews for them was getting whatever he, he wanted he was he but, was yeah but we started denying him the ball yep you know yep yep we whenever it would go down to Rakosevich or however you say it the, the big yeah. center for them right he you know he had five turnovers and four fouls yeah he you didn't know. have a great game yeah yeah you know he had a big turnover late too on a uh, when he when he tried to get fancy with a, a pass across the lane and, and threw it out of bounds, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, and I know, uh, you know, the the TV crew was uh, was commentating on the fact that the officials seemed to be getting in his head, and he was frustrated with the officiating, and maybe that's the case. But great for us, you know, like that's that's the thing, and we've had games like that, and and you know, that's kind of a big picture, not just last night. I noticed it last night. Um, Hurley's demeanor has changed this year. And I know, you know, you've read about it too. And I think that feeds on down. It really does. I mean, I've seen teams where the coach is constantly complaining about officiating and it's, it starts to invade everything you do because you feel like, well, you know, that shot didn't go in because the officials are out to get us. No, they're not, you know, like, I mean, they're not perfect, but not every one of your shortcomings is because the officials didn't give you the call you wanted, but you, you start thinking that way. Yeah. So I think that's been an improvement. There were a couple times last night where I expected to see Hurley, you know, lose it, and he didn't. You know, I mean, there were a couple times he did. He got angry, but but I there was one where Mickey Mitchell went up for a board, and I, you know, pretty clearly I thought got pushed off, and they got the rebound, went the other way, and I thought Hurley was, you know, and he just calmly paced down to the other sideline, and you know, like no reaction at all, and I thought, you know, it was like. It was like Vern Lundquist watching Happy Gilmore, you know, a new and improved Bobby Hurley here. Yeah, well, and I do think that it does, to your point, trickle down quite a bit from coach to team. You know, I think you can't help that it does, especially with college kids. And, and there's only, you know, eight or ten of them that are playing. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard for it not to. Well, and sometimes it's for the benefit. You know, we saw that sure. in the Arizona game when he got – Real heated. Sure, and, sure, yes. You know. you got to know when to push buttons and when not to. And you it's, know, and, it's and, funny and, because and, Herb would go to that well so infrequently yes. that it always felt yes. like a big deal. I mean, I remember when, I think it was 
his first season where he got tossed and he was right. you know flapping his arms trying to hype right. up the crowd and you know we were there. and it was like yes. oh man he's a lot fiery and then it's like what oh, happened never to this happened guy? yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and and Hurley's the opposite you know Hurley's the guy who surprises you when he is called um, and again, there, I mean, I expected it last night a couple of different times. I remember that Mickey Mitchell one, especially because I thought, Oh God, here it comes. It really was Burnley. You know, here comes the putter throw. And I'm like, wow, what, what's this? A restrained Bobby Hurley, you know, just walking down to the sideline and calming himself down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so I think that's been positive and, and, uh, you know, look, I, I don't know, just thinking, you know, last night after the game and, and this morning, and this team sort of feels a little bit like the football team this year where they can beat anybody and they can lose to anybody. And so they have eight games left and they could just as easily go six and two as two and six. I don't know what to expect the rest of the way, but we've worked our way back into the conversation when it certainly did not look good for us four weeks ago, three weeks ago when we were, you know, one and three in the conference and, you know, it looked like, I mean, I texted you at one point, I can't remember during which game, might have been during the Colorado game, and said, you know, I think this is going to be a stress-free selection Sunday for us. Well, it, it may not be. We've, we've worked our way back into the mix. Yeah, we are 15-8, and 6-4 and four overall, and if you're wondering what to root for, uh, root for USC and Arizona. I know that's, sure. that's against your interest. But. but I'll root for I'll root for USC, yeah. Yeah. No, you're I mean, we've gotten some quality wins the last three weeks too. I mean, even the win over Washington, they're you know, it's it's weird to say that the team in last place in the conference feels like a quality win. But they have a they have a resume that, you know, they're not gonna get in the tournament unless they make a tremendous run. But it's a respectable win. It's on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Washington's the only team this year that beat Baylor, so that's boosting them up all along is that, you know, November win over Baylor. Um, and, and so, you know, you got, you got three decent wins over the last three weeks. Uh, you know, they're not huge. You're not beating a top five team. Um, it would be huge if we could get the home win over Oregon in two weeks. Uh, you know, that's our, that's probably our last ranked opponent, our only ranked opponent ahead of the last eight games. Um, and so that would be a big one to get if we could get it. You know, I thought going into the weekend, I thought we needed to win seven of ten to have a, a, a shot at an at-large discussion. We got the first two, so you know, five of eight sounds more manageable than seven of ten. Six of eight, seven of eight—that would be even better. Um, but again, this team—you know—we've twenty-three games in. It's hard for me to believe they're all of a sudden going to rip off ten in a row. So there's going to be more ups and downs to come, I'm sure. But you know, I, I'm I'm happy that they've seemingly found a little something and you know are playing their best ball of the year right now i think that's fair to say yeah they've got uh the bay area road trip then the oregon schools at home then the la road trip then the washington schools at home so it's not a it's not a brutal stretch uh cal's not very good and stanford has come screeching back to earth since they you know they they were undefeated in the conference just three weeks ago and now they're five and five Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they've come back. Cal's not great. Um, then we're at home and, you know, we, we beat Oregon state up there. We played Oregon tough. Um, and Oregon's been kind of like so many teams this year in college basketball where when they go on the road, they're just not as good. Uh, you know, it just, this is a, this is a bizarre year. I mean, the big 10, which you're close to is like, you know, you, you team at home. Great team on the road. They stink. 
doesn't matter who they are, uh, pick the home team, you know. And so that, but it's kind of been all throughout college basketball this year. So, you know, Washington, Washington State at the end of the year, certainly not brutal. You know, neither team is very good. Um, we beat UCLA easily. So we'll see what happens now. The game at USC, that has all the makings of a game where they figure things out and they beat us by 20 points. Um, then who knows? You know, hopefully I'm wrong on that. It's one of those things where we threw a very interesting wrinkle at them with this press. You know, right. And they didn't right. prepared for it. But, and they just they did a lot of things that they can improve on. Uh, you know, I mean, they really did. They, they uh, I mean, if they clean up the turnovers, they win that game easily last night. Now, some of that was our defense, admittedly, but it just that that feels like a game where they'll they'll handle us easily, and you'll look back and think, "How do we win that game at home?" But the bottom line is, we won it. So um, we'll see. You know, like I said, this team could just as easily drop both games next weekend and have us, you know, sitting here in, in seven or 10 days and thinking, boy, what happened? Um, as win both games next weekend and then have us thinking, wow, this team is really making a push. It, it just, it feels very much like the football team this year where they're not good enough to just, you know, think, oh, going to easily win this one. But they're not bad enough to think, well, they got no shot in this one. And and so we'll, we'll, we'll fasten our seatbelts and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, flipping over before we go to ASU football. So signing day uh, and the time leading up to it, uh, landing Dalen McLemore, the quarterback from Junipero Serra High School in Galena, yeah. is probably the biggest uh, signing. Jake Ray, the tight end from Thomas Aquinas, which is one of those powerhouses in Florida. Right, right. Um, th- those were probably the two key guys from the uh, signing day. There's also yeah. been the two grad transfer offensive line. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, boy, I mean, you know, you mentioned signing day, and I texted you about this on Wednesday last week. Isn't it amazing how things have changed with that February signing day? That would have been the first thing we talked about this time of year, just maybe three years ago. But now it's sort of like a – we added a couple guys that, you know, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, that December signing day has quickly become the day. The thing that I thought would have anchored the February date as the important one is all of the national high school bowls and the announcements at those. Yeah. But as we learned with Bunkley Shelton and right. Nada yeah, and Badger, they, they just signed anyway. They and already they signed. And then they just wait. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, you know, I, I mean, I was thinking about it when we were texting and the only thing I could think was really, you know, this 25 a year limit is a big thing with, with the transfer portal being what it is. And, and that counts against your 25 a year. And so I think guys are, are leery to, you know, unless you're really good uh, and you know, it, you know, multiple teams are going to wait for you. You know, it's it's like, well, take it or leave it, basically. You don't take it now, you might miss your chance on the place you really want to go. And and I think that's why you're seeing this this land rush to, you know, well, we're going to sign in December, and coaches are happy to do it, I think. I mean, it's like, hey, let's get this team in the fold. And you got all the early enrollees, too. That's become such a big thing. I mean, you know, Clemson, I think three-quarters of their signing class enrolled in January. Um you know, Alabama's got a ton. We've got a few, you know, so it's it's everywhere now that you're getting kids that start early and they come for spring practice. So you can't wait till February if you're going to enroll early. Yeah, true. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Usually things happen slower 
And I bet you that's what people thought when they put in this, you know, quote unquote, early signing day was, well, you'll have some kids sign. And boy, it's I mean, this was what the second or third year of it. Yeah. Still pretty early. And it's it's now the day. And then there's the aftermath signing day, you know, and, and I heard, you know, your boy Nick Saban gave the media a lecture on math, uh, you know, when someone dared to say that their signing day was slow, which he's right. They signed 22 guys in December. You know, I mean, do the math. They could only sign three guys, and that's what they signed is three guys in February. So even though he was tremendously condescending about it, as he always is, he did have a point. Hmm. You can be condescending and correct. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was. I mean, you know, it was it was one of those where I'm sure the other people in that room were thinking, oh no, you didn't just do this. You didn't just give him a reason to go off on our collective intelligence. But yes, <laughs> indeed, did. that guy did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was a hold your breath moment. Like, oh no, 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 you didn't say that. But yes, he did, and he took the opportunity. But, but uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, you know, it was good to get a quarterback. We needed that. Um, we needed a guy who could just kind of be a, a depth filler. Uh, you know, there's there's guys in the NFL that it's like you, you sign that guy to be a backup. You got you got to have guys like that in college too, where they're willing to come in and like accept that you're probably going to be a backup. Maybe things happen for you, but probably not. And this kid seems like the right fit for that. He was a backup most of his high school career, started this year, and got injured. And so he didn't get a lot of notice. And so it's like, okay, he seems like the background that you think he's not going to you know, walk after one year if he's not the starter. So speaking of people walking. After one year or, or one less. month. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know when when Danny Gonzalez was rumored to leave and then did leave for the New Mexico job, the, the question was, do you make Tony White the defensive coordinator, or right. do you make Antonio Pierce the defensive coordinator? And, and Pierce is the, the answer turned out to be both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everyone thought White was the present, keep the defense consistent yes. on the three three five. Yeah, and then Tony White decided to take the Syracuse job, and. I I listened to the Sun Devil Source free podcast about yeah. this, so yeah. I, I, I'm going to be borrowing from their okay. points, but I want to give Fair credit enough. where it's due. This was stuff sure. they were saying. It is a, a sign of the program that is positive that the first reason given for White leaving was to be closer to family. Right, right. It is... It, you know, it is a sign of respect for Herm and for the program and the opportunity. But it is a bad sign that he's also going to Syracuse from ASU because Syracuse is paying him more. And Syracuse is a basketball school. I know. And, and, and I didn't listen to that podcast, you know, but, it, but it's very similar to what I thought, too, is, is, you know, it's one thing. We talked about it the last time we talked to lose Jamar Cain to Oklahoma. We are not at the level of Oklahoma I accept that. I hope to someday be, but I accept that that's probably, even if we could win a national championship, we're probably not going to be at the consistent level of Oklahoma. I get it. But Syracuse, I mean, when, when's the last time Syracuse was a football power? Donovan McNabb? Yeah, I, was I mean, they got, the to, last the, they got to the Orange Bowl and Fiesta Bowl with McNabb. I mean, you know, that the was the late 90s. The last time Syracuse football had any sort of publicity was when Greg Paulus transferred there to yes. play football. To be a one-year guy after he played basketball, and that was because of the novelty, you know. And, and yeah, a couple of years ago they did have a pretty good year. Um, you know, they they were in the in contention for the ACC title close to the end. 
this year was a huge disappointment for them. You know, they were expected to be pretty good and missed a bowl game. Um, but bottom line is, it's Syracuse. It's a it's a lower half of the ACC football program. It's not Clemson. It's not Florida State. It's not Virginia Tech, Miami. It, you know, yeah, it, it's it's just not. And so, yeah, that is eye-opening and, and, you know, is one of those things that it makes you think like, God, can we – can we climb this mountain unless there's more money in it? And, and you know, you, there's that notion out there of, well, you know, the players don't get paid, so what does it matter how much money you have? Well, no, they don't get paid directly, but the more money you have, the better players you can get. You can have better facilities, and you can keep the coaches that they like. You know, well, I mean, a guy Pierce gets a reputation as a for, great recruiter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know. Pierce talked about that in recruiting, he, you know, about how yes. we finally spent over a million dollars on recruiting. Yeah. And it's yeah. like Alabama's recruiting budget and Clemson's recruiting budget's like $2 million. Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, didn't, I think I read Georgia's was like 3 or $4 million this year. You know, I mean, like, and again, I, I realize that we are not Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. Those are, those are the haves. I don't want to say we are the have-not, but we are not the have. We have some. They have all. Uh, and I get it. But, yeah, to be outbid by Syracuse for a coach hurts because then you're thinking, what are we doing wrong here? I mean, because Syracuse can't be putting that much money into their program, can they? I mean, am I, am I missing something that Syracuse has this bottomless pit of money? Because if they did, wouldn't they be better at football? <laughs> they have better coaches well, and, and they have don't better you think facilities. Have, uh, they wouldn't play football and basketball at the same facility? Right, Which is right. the insane you know? thing that no one does. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. That one. Yeah. You're, you're. It's a good point that those guys made, and and I'll give you credit for it. Um, that you know. Yeah. It's it's a compliment when other people want your coaches, and and you know Todd Graham said that, and of course you know he lost so many that that Ray Anderson used that against him in firing him. Uh, but you mentioned that last week when we talked, you look at the guys who coached under Graham and where they are now. There's a lot of very successful coaches who are doing big things or have done big things. And and so it's great when, you know, when Oklahoma wants your defensive line coach and, and people want your defensive coordinator to be your head coach. That means you're doing something fairly well. But, you know, this is the danger of Ray Anderson saying publicly, we need to retain coaches better. We need more. That's probably not going to happen at ASU. Not unless you're willing to increase the football budget yes. significantly. By a lot. Yeah. And, and remember yeah. that increasing the football budget for ASU, unless it comes from donors, means increasing right. the football budget for Arizona. And true, to some true. extent, NAU. Because everyone, yeah. you know, it's not us asking, like, we'll get it and no one else will. And no one else will. Yeah, we're not we're not USC, mm-hmm. where we, you know, private school or something. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. That's a good point, too. Um, I mean, so, yeah, I just, I don't know if that was realistic. And... And, you know, but but Ray was very, you know, on the record in that press conference. And it's been, you know, gosh, what, over two years since he had that press conference where he fired Graham. And he laid out several things. We need more guys getting drafted. We need to win nine plus games a year and be in the top 15 of the country, top three of the conference. And we need to retain coaches better. Well, we haven't yet done the nine plus games a year being the top three of the conference. Now it's only been two years, but we haven't done it yet. The more guys getting drafted, eh, mixed bag. I mean, the year we were coming off of was we had a kicker and a punter get invited to the combine. So it's hard not to improve on that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's and also one of those things where when you set the expectation, knowing you have a top three <laughs> receiver in the class. <laughs> exactly. Who went first round. And, mm-hmm. and we have a chance to have maybe another first rounder this year in mm-hmm. IU. Uh, you know, it's a deep receiver class, so it's, it's hard. To, but, I, you know, you'd expect him to go at least within the first three rounds. Yeah, and maybe day one, um, you know, so, um, you know, we, we have some guys and, and I think that's getting there, but the retaining coaches, boy, I mean, you have, you have what, 10 on field assistants that you count, you know, I know they have all the analysts and all that, but of the, of the 10, you know, coordinator slash position coaches, we're going to be new at six spots. Am I right about that? We got rid of the offensive coordinator, the wide receivers coach and the tight ends coach. The linebacker coach, the D-line coach, both moved. Yes. Um, and, and then the defensive coordinator left. Yeah. So, you know, both coordinators and then four position coaches are, e- are either gone or in different roles. Mm-hmm. And three of them are gone. I mean, Pierce is the only one who got, you know, and, and boy, as, I, as we texted about, Pierce comes out, you know, smelling like a rose on this. He got his promotion to, you know, associate head coach when White became the defensive coordinator. And now he's the defensive coordinator, too. So, you know, he he's the winner in this position. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm curious. And obviously Marvin Lewis taking a more active role as the co-defensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh, he's got great pedigree as a defensive coach. You can't you, you can't find a better defensive coach than a guy who coached a Super Bowl team. And he did. Uh, you know, so it's hard to get much better than that but that was also 20 years ago and it was in the NFL coaching college is different. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I am cautiously optimistic about that. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So Chris Cartman's point, which I thought was a good one on this was you put them up. Oh, here comes Archie. Here comes Archie talking. Oh, there he is. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. You can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't go too long before Archie. Has we almost made it. We almost made it. Um, but I think that the, uh, the the point Chris Cartman made was a good one, that Pierce has never had to call plays. No. So you bring no. in someone who has called plays, you have them work together. Sure, but sure. But you, 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 you get him some training. And what you do is you're setting up for Lewis will do this for a year. It's, I think it's clear to everyone Lewis wants to go back to the NFL. This was a yeah. – he, he's doing yeah. Herm a favor. And that's what yes. this is. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. But yeah. You, you do this, you do it for a year, and then you've now bought yourself two years of Antonio Pierce because yeah. you'll just make him the full coordinator. The play caller and yeah. And yeah, then, you're probably right. You know, and then we're looking at the 2022 seasons in the past. We're at a late 60s, maybe 70-year-old Herm at that point. Right. Right. Um, is, it, is it time you hand the reins off to Pierce? Yeah, or yeah. or you accept that Pierce is going to go. Right. Well, it was interesting. I don't know. I mean, I know that this was a couple weeks ago when you were in the height of your, your busy at work stretch, but I don't know if you read that that Haller sit down with Herm or the interview with Herm, and and he talked about, you know, Pierce was, was in demand in the NFL, and, and Herm, without saying it, basically implied that, you know, I'm training Pierce to be my successor. And that's the way I picked up on it, at least. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm training him the same way Tony Dungy trained me, which is to be a head coach. And, and that's how it felt was, Hey, I'm, I'm going to give this guy the tools to be the next head coach. Good. I, I mean, I, I'm okay with it. Um, at this point in time now, whether Pierce is a good defensive play caller or not, that doesn't necessarily mean he will or won't be a good head coach. 
There are guys who are great coordinators who are not good head coaches. There are guys who are never coordinators who are very good head coaches. The last two national championship coaches were never coordinators. Orgeron and Sweeney were, you know, never, never called plays. And obviously they know what they're doing. They won two national championships. Sweeney's got two of the two of the last four and Orgeron got this one. So you can win at a very high level without a former coordinator as your head coach. And and maybe maybe we'll find that that's what Pierce really is, is that he's more of a recruiter, which is what Sweeney and Orgeron are. You know, they're they're charismatic. They're they'll go into the living room and they'll woo you. You don't necessarily want them calling the X's and O's, but maybe they can hire people to call the X's and O's. Yeah. Look, they will buy the ingredients and someone yes. else will cook. Yes, and that's okay. Like, you know, I mean there are there are great coordinators who don't make good head coaches. I mean, North Turner is the one that always comes to my mind. Whenever North Turner coordinated an offense, it was good. When he was your head coach, yeah. <laughs> you know, results were mixed. Um, and, and so we'll see what Pierce is. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I like that Lewis is involved in this because you're right. Pierce has never called plays. And there's a big difference between coaching up the linebackers and recruiting and being in the box or on the sideline and having to tell the entire defense what to do. That's a totally different task. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also very clear we are going to change our defense. We are not yes. going to play the three-three-five. And and one you know one final point that I'm going to steal, but I think it's a good one. The three-three-five is interesting and exciting, but it's also sort of analogous to Herm's match or uh, Herb Sendex matchup zone. Matchup zone. In that yeah. you do it because you don't have enough linemen. Yes. yes. To do yes. something else. And, right. And they've made a concerted effort. Now we should have that. that. Agreed. And I'll tell you the one thing I hope we see, whether it's as a defensive end or as a rush linebacker, Merlin Robertson needs to go back to the role he had as a freshman. Uh, you know, the, the middle linebacker role for him was not good. Not good. He was he was without impact. And then you saw it in the bowl game when all of a sudden he was rushing the passer and like, hey, where'd this guy come from? So hopefully that's the first decision made by Pierce and, and Lewis and Herm or whoever's making these calls is this guy's good. He had a great freshman year. We put him in a different role his sophomore year and he wasn't nearly as impactful. Let's put him back in that role he was in before. Yeah. Cause he, he's the key, I think, or a key at least to this defense being what we hope it is, is, you know, him getting back to the form of, you know, several times a game you're thinking there's, there's number eight making a play. We didn't have that enough last year. Yeah. Well, Archie's indicating that it's time for us to wrap up, so uh, <laughs> All right. we will be back. We're going to get to a more regular, at least once a week schedule, but uh, yes. until next time, he's Matt, I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.